Some of you remember Harold Graham. Uh, his daughter, Jennifer Blanchura, she went to be with the Lord this morning, right? And uh, so she's in Beulah land. Uh, praise the Lord for that. Uh, she's been suffering for quite a few years, and um, she's now with the Lord and seeing her dad again and her loved ones there on the other side. Uh, young people may go with the uh, Scarbellos to the other side. The rest of us take our Bibles, turn to the book of Psalms. Book of Psalms, the song book of the, the Jewish people, Psalm chapter number 8. Psalm chapter 8. Let's all stand as we read through this portion of Scripture. Psalm chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. We're going to read through the whole chapter. You say, Pastor, the whole chapter, there's only nine verses. <laughs> Psalm chapter 8. I could have said Psalm 119, then that would have, that would have really gotten some of you concerned. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Thou hast set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. And hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field. The fowl of the air and the fish of the sea. And whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. How excellent is the name of our Lord in all the earth. Let's pray. Father, how wonderful today it is to hear the name which is above every name. The name of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, for one day the, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is King to the, the glory of God the Father. Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for the wonderful gift of salvation. Thank you for his power. Thank you for his presence, his help. Father, we thank you today that we can come to you and rejoice in your goodness and mercy. And Lord, I pray now as we look at your word, that once again that you would fill us with understanding of thy truth. Lord, that our hearts and lives would be challenged and, and, and rejoiced over the fact that of the promises that we find in your word today. Lord, we'll just give you all the praise, the honor, and glory. And if there's one that may not have considered salvation, I pray today that that would be that new day of beginning for them, that they'd put their trust and faith in Jesus. And Lord, turn over their life to his control. Lord, pray for your power today as I preach. Give me your words in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Some children were asked to explain love. Billy, whose age was four, he said, When someone loves you, they say your name in a, in a different way. You just know your name is safe in their mouth. That's pretty good. Chrissy, age six, said, Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. That's true love. 
Claire 8, 6 says, My mommy loves me more than anybody. You don't see anybody else kissing me to sleep at night. Tommy, age six, said, Love is like a, a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. Jessica, age eight, said, You really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. You know, it's wonderful to know that somebody loves you. When you consider the fact when the person says, I love you, it's a sense of belonging. It's a sense of security. It gives joy to our heart. Today we're going to consider the theme, just because Jesus loves me so. Just because Jesus loves me so. When you think of Jesus' love for you, how does it make you feel? How does it, or what does it do to your soul, and, and what does it do to motivate you? when you think about the love of Christ. I want you to notice three important things as we consider in God's word today. First of all, it is humbling to know that Jesus loves us so. In Psalm chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, look at this portion of scripture once again. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who hast Set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy uh, and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? You know, when we consider all of God's creation, what is man that God should take notice of us? Well, you know, down here we think that we're pretty much some something. But you know, when you consider all of the creation of God, all that God has made, as I've said before, they say that there's a hundred billion stars in our Milky Way galaxy. And there's a hundred billion galaxies out there. And God would take notice of you and me on this planet at this time. What is man that God should even take notice of us? Consider Psalm 78, verse number 13, or 39. Psalm 78, verse 39. Psalm 78, verse 39. The psalmist Asaph is saying here in this portion, talking about God, for he, God, remembered that they, the nation of Israel, were but flesh. A wind that passeth away and cometh not again. What is man that we're like a wind that's here and gone? Why should God even notice us. Psalm 103 and verse 14. Psalm 103 and verse 14. David is speaking. It says, For he, talking of God, knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. We're just dust. 
From dust thou art, to dust thou shalt return. God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Well, we were a special creation. So don't let an evolutionist tell you that you're just a mistake. Can I tell you something? That is a bunch of hogwash. That's a theological term. You were a special creation of God. God made you. It says, for God said, let us make man in our own image. In the image of God made he them. Male and female made he them. There's nothing in between, folks. God specially made you and me. God says, we're just dust. We're just dust. Well, pastor, you know, I think myself a little bit more than dust. Well, you're getting a, a, a view of how God really looks at this situation. Look at Isaiah 64 and verse 6. I, Isaiah 64, verse number 6. Isaiah 64 and verse number 6. It says, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. God says, you know, when, you, when he looks down at us, and he looks down at man, and man down here on this planet, you know there's some of them that, you know, they, they, they want to be a little, little taller so they get some of those elevator shoes. Had a guy in our college that, you know, he, he had a tall wife and, and he wanted to be at least, you know, a couple inches taller. So he got one of those elevator shoes, you know, with those high heels to, to kind of be up there. He still couldn't match. She was still a tall lady. Uh, but, you know, some people, they think that they're pretty somewhat. But God says, let me just tell you something. In the best, in the best that we possibly could do, all of our righteousness are as filthy rags in comparison to a holy God. We're all sinners. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the, of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.10. We are so unworthy that God should even take notice of us. And yet, Jesus still loves us anyway. He loves us anyway. Look at it, Romans chapter 5 and verse number 6. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 6. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 6. Just some wonderful truth. All of our righteousness are as filthy rags. We're sinners. We've all missed the mark. Uh, we cannot say to God, God, you know what? I'm as good as you are. Uh, God gave ten commandments. And mankind has broken them all. And God didn't give the Ten Commandments to create righteousness in a person. He just used those as a demonstration to show how far we were from God. We needed a Savior, and that's why he sent his Son, because we could not save ourselves. In Romans chapter 5, in verse number 6, it says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you and for me. The love of Jesus Christ 
for you and for me. We were sinners. We were not saying, well, God, you know what? I'm a pretty good person, so you should die for me. No, no. He says, let me just explain to you. Let me just explain how the situation really is. All of your righteousness, if you had a balance here, all of your righteousness, here's all your unrighteousness, they're on this scale on this end over here. You say, well, surely my righteousness will outbalance my, my unrighteousness when I get, I'll get to, get, get to go to heaven because of my righteousness. No, God says, let me just tell you how it works. All of your righteousness, you so-called righteousness, are put over here on this, and there is no righteousness in you and me. And Jesus loved us anyway. He loved us when we were sinners. We were not a little close to God. In fact, God says that you look down from heaven, there's none that are looking for him. So, well, pastor, there's a lot of religious people. I was talking with a man yesterday. He said, you know what? I've really given up on organized religion. He, he said, uh, I said, well, what, what, where, what church did you go to when you were growing up? I, he said, I went to a Baptist church. He said, you know, my parents were Baptists. They'd go to church, at, you know, every service, they'd go to church he says, but then I looked at, at church and I looked at what's going on and those people are, you know, they, they're so angry and they're so mean and they're so, you know, so nasty. And he says, and I looked at that and he says, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't feel that that's the right way to go. I said, well, there's a difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, religion is man's way of trying to reach to God through do's and don'ts. If you do all the do's and don't do all the don'ts, and then in God's and man's thinking, then, then I'll be able to go to heaven, and God will look down and say, well, you know what? Yeah, you've done good enough. You're able to come into heaven. God says, no, no, that's not how you get there. It's only through a relationship that you get there to get to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. The Bible relationship, Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, my followers, the ones that are going my direction, who have me in your heart. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. You have love one for another. You have mercy. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. Hey, that's the fruit and the evidence of the Spirit of God. But today of what we have is so much in religion. It's just the opposite of that. Well, it's because it's the fruit of the flesh and not the fruit of the Spirit. As I was sharing with this man, I said, there's a difference. You can't get to heaven through religion. You can only get there through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus Christ comes into your life, things are different. His spirit comes to live inside your spirit. You're a different person. You have a different perspective. And as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, how he loves us, even though we were a sinner. Look at John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 13. Jesus is speaking in John 15 to his disciples. It's, it's before he goes to the cross. In John chapter 15, verse number 13, Jesus says this, Greater, ha greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. If you were to be asked today, are, are you a friend of Jesus Christ? And people would say, I would venture to say probably most of us in here would say, well, I'm a friend of Jesus Christ. I am his friend. We need to look at the next verse because he tells us, you know, he gave his life for his friends. He says, ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I've commanded you. 
if you do whatsoever I've commanded you. You see, just mentioning the name of Jesus Christ does not mean you're his friend. Does not mean that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, just knowing about Jesus Christ, I was talking with somebody yesterday and he was talking about that, you know, he knew about Jesus and he knew about the different things. And, and I asked him, I said, do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Because I knew he didn't. We talked about this before and he was talking about getting, trying to get close to have that type of relationship. I said, well, it comes because you, you realize you're a sinner. You can't save yourself. And the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, to, but to as many as received him. To them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And those who are willing to come and say, Jesus, I need you to save me because I cannot save myself. I'm a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Remember the publican said. Look at Matthew chapter number 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. See, obedience is important in this thing called Christianity. It's like today, though, many people say, well, you know, uh, if, you, if you talk about obedience and, and following the commands of Christ, then you're a legalist. No, you're an obedient child. Jesus said here, he says, that in this portion of Scripture, he says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings, of mine and do with them I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock and every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. See, it's not enough just to hear what God's Word says. You can hear without application. And if you hear without application, you deceive yourself. The Bible says that knowledge puffeth up. The more we have without application to our life, we will never be changed to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It's when we hear it and we hear the commands of the Lord. And we say, you know what? I want to be in obedience to my Savior. I'm going to follow in his direction. I'm going to go in his life. I want his life to be seen in my life. That's why that verse in John 15, verses 13 and 14, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. And you say, well, pastor, I want to be his friend. Then you must do what he commands. You must do what he commands. A young boy worked in a factory, 
but he had an intense desire to be a singer. At the age of 10, he had his first voice lesson. His teacher heard him. You know, it's kind of like, if you've ever been around people that are learning to play an instrument or those type of things, trumpet, or when they first started, playing guitar, it's kind of like, you've got to cringe. Uh, and they're, while they're learning, this instructor said to this young man, he says, you can't sing. You haven't the voice at all. Your voice sounds like the wind in the shutters. You know how that is? It's just kind of clattering and making a noise. Boy, that wasn't too encouraging. But may I share with you, he had a mother that believed that he could sing. She was a very, very poor lady. And she hugged her boy and she said to him, said, my, my boy, I'm going to make every sacrifice to pay for your lessons. It encouraged him and the sacrifice that the mother gave for her son was invaluable. He became known as one of the world's greatest singers. His name was Enrique Caruso. Could you imagine? I'd like to have seen that, that uh, instructor. You can't sing! You know what? Caruso's mom saw value in him which others did not see. She sacrificed for him so that he could have that full potential. May I share with you that Jesus knew our nature. He knew the bent of our life. The bent of our life was toward evil. He saw in us something worth loving and sacrificing for. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Paul said in Romans 7, 18, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. He went on to say in 1 Timothy 1, 15, he said, this is a faithful saying and worth, uh, worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. But I'm glad that Jesus loved me anyway. I think of the song that goes something like this. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. You know, it's humbling to realize that Jesus could and would love us even as a sinner. It's humbling. Praise God that he loves us. Second thing we want to consider, and that's this. It is comforting to know that, uh, it is comforting to our soul to know that Jesus loves us. Not only to know, it's humbling to know that he loves us, but it's comforting to our soul to know that Jesus loves us. John 3, 16, one that's a familiar one. In fact, as I was quoting it yesterday to a, this one gentleman who said he'd given up on religion, organized religion, as I started quoting John 3, 16, he quoted it right along with me. 
He remembers when he went to church and learned that one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. May I share, share with you that God's love for us was a decision. You know, we see so much and hear so much today about love and people say, well, love is a feeling. I don't feel any love. Can I tell you something? Biblical love it's not just a feeling. It's a decision. For God so loved the world. He loved. It was a decision. It was a decision of his will to love us. Well, you say, Pastor, we were really good, so God loved us. No, no, no. God, as we said, God saw and God knew what we were like. And yet, he determined that he was going to love us. It was a decision of his will. And he did the best for the object loved. For God so loved the world. What? That he gave his only begotten son. If there was going to be a relationship with him once again, it was not going to be because man was just going to get better and better, and then all of a sudden one day he was going to be good enough and God was going to say, come on into my heaven. That's not what was going to, that was not the issue. God knew where we were. God knew that we needed a Savior. And God in his mercy and God in a decision said, I'm going to send my son to die for them. May I share with you that Jesus had a decision about loving us. Jesus' love for us was a decision. Look with me to John chapter number 10. John chapter 10. John chapter number 10. Jesus says in verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Do you know that if you're a, if you're a sheep of Jesus, Jesus knows you? But can I tell you something about the sheep? The sheep know him too. You can't fool the shepherd. You can't fool the shepherd. You say, well, pastor, I'll just kind of sneak in and be with a bunch of Christians and, and, and they'll all think that I'm a sheep just like the rest of the sheep because we all look alike. Well, but you know what? God's put the seal in, his, in the, our hearts. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. And if that, his spirit is not inside you, then you are not a child of God. Here, the, Jesus goes on to say, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, talking about the, the Gentiles, the, the sheep that he's talking about there in that portion is dealing with the Jews, but he says, other sheep, the Gentiles, I have which are not of this fold. And can I tell you something? It's not. It's not. Referring, as the Mormons say, that the sheep over in North America, I'm going to go over and talk to them. No, 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 no. He's talking about Gentiles here in this portion. He says, other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. See, Jesus, as he said to Pilate, he could have called twelve legion of angels to set himself free. But he willingly laid down his life 
for you and for me because he loves us. I lay my life down by my, uh, of myself and I have power to take it uh, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Jesus, the good shepherd, his love for you and for me is a decision of his will. I love what 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says. We love him because he first loved us. People say, well, you know what? If, if they will love me, then I will love them. Well, can I tell you something? That's a kind of a selfish type of love. That's a phileo type love. I'll love you if you love me. Agape love is God's love. God loved us even before we loved him. God was willing to send his son when we were sinners to die for us because he loves you. So many people in relationships, they say, well, you know what? If they will give, you know, if they will give 50%, then I'll give 50%, and that makes 100. No, no, can I tell you something? When you go into a relationship, you give 100%. Because there are times that they may not love you, but if you're, you're commanded as, as an example of our Savior and our God, he gave when we didn't deserve love. And he loved us anyway doing the best for the object love. Nothing can separate us from the love of our Savior. Look with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Great portion of Scripture. If you've not marked this in your Bible, you've not memorized it, spent time considering it, Oh, dear friend, I pray you would. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? <laughs> Who's going to separate you from your Savior who loves you? Shall tribulation, boy, you know, hard times come. Boy, I'm sure it's going to separate Christ's love for me. Nope. Tribulation or distress. That idea of distress is narrowness of place. Have you ever been in a spot where you feel like you're being in a vice and being squeezed or persecution people really giving you a hard time or famine there's no food or nakedness you don't have any uh, you don't have the apparel and and things like that, that that the rest of the world surely jesus has forsaken me no 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 he doesn't love me anymore no that's not true or peril Danger is the idea, or the sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, and all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. We were, uh, we were talking about that in Sunday school. All the demonic forces are not going to separate you from the love of Christ nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I tell you something? Nothing can separate you. God's going to love you forever. You know, the devil comes back and says, you know, let me just tell you, I'm, you're so bad, God doesn't love you anymore. You ought to come back and read this portion right here. We may have wandered away from God, but I'm telling you today, if we confess our sin, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We get a fresh new slate. Even when God has to correct us, he still loves us. So a pastor, you know, I kind of, I don't believe my parents really loved, really loved me because they had to, they spanked me. Now at the time, I don't know about you, I was not jumping up and down for joy when my dad would give me a spanking. Or my mom, either one. Didn't. And sometimes, you know how children are, they'll say those things, you don't love me. You know, I didn't work with my parents. You didn't say that to my parents. Um, that was just a, that was a no-no. But you know what? Children sometimes will say that because they think that if they just say that, then you'll, you'll go light on them. But may I share with you Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. And it says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the, thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. May I share with you that God in his love corrects you and me? When we're going on the wrong path, he, he doesn't want us to continue to go down that wrong path, and so he will correct us. You say, well, Pastor, how does he correct us? Sometimes it's by sickness. Sometimes it's by financially. Sometimes it's by relationship situations. God allows things in our lives. Sometimes it's the circumstances of life that God has to take us out to the woodshed to correct us. Why? Because we're going the wrong way. Well, why doesn't he just let me go? Because he loves you. If he didn't love you, he would just let you go. The thinking of parents back in Dr. Spock's time. Oh, well, you know what? If you, if you spank them, if you discipline them, you're going to affect their psyche. No, can I tell you something? It put the fear of parents that they're, they're going to affect their children. What, this, what we've uh, developed is not to children who love their parents more. It's children who despise their parents. Really, in reality, if we don't discipline our children, can I tell you something? You don't love your children. The Bible says in verse 7, it says, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he of whom the father chasteneth not? But if he be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards, illegitimate, and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers in our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they, the fathers, verily, for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. You know, sometimes parents... It makes me feel better because I, I discipline my child. Huh. You know what? I never, got a, I never got a joy out of doing that. That was tough for me. I didn't like doing it. I can say that now. Kids are grown. And grandkids, when they come to our house, it's not my responsibility. That's the parents' responsibility. I just get to spoil them and give them candy and all those good things. And then they have to take the kids home and straighten them out after I've messed them up. But notice verse 10. For they for verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous, sorrowful, painful. That's that idea. 
Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. If we will learn when God chastens that that's not the right path to go and we're to get back on track through that chastening, we are being exercised. It's going to be for our benefit to be more righteous than we were before. All of us at times need to be reproved. When God reproves us and chastens us, it's because he loves us. He wants the best for us. I want you to see the third principle here today. Just because Jesus loves us so, it constrains me to live, to love and to serve him. It constrains me. Look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just because Jesus loves me so. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Because of Jesus' love for us, we ought to live and love and serve him with all we've got. It constrains us. It's the motivation, his love for us, not my love for him. You know, if, if we think of our love for him, our love is changed by circumstances. But we can look at his love for us. The circumstances of life didn't change his love for us. He went all the way to the cross. He endured all the suffering, did all the pain. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He went all the way, gave his all for us, and because of his love for us, it ought to constrain us to give our all to him. We're not to live to glorify and gratify ourselves we're to live our life in such a way to please Jesus, to lift him up and to glorify him. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. When you think of Jesus' tremendous love for you, does it humble you? Does it humble you? When you think of Jesus' love for you, does it comfort your heart? Does mine. I'm glad I've got a God who loves me. I've got a God who loves me. And when you think of Jesus' love, does it compel you to love and to serve and to glorify him? Lauren McCain was one of the students killed at the Virginia Tech on April 16, 2007. Many of you probably remember that shooting that took place there. She was a freshman from Shawnee, Oklahoma. She left a powerful statement about her faith on her personal website. The 20-year-old had written on her website the following words, The purpose and love of my life is Jesus Christ. I don't have to argue religion, philosophy, or historical evidence because I know let me ask you today, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Do you love him? 
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the wonderful love that you have shown toward us. Lord, you gave your only begotten Son to die for us. Father, we're so unworthy. We're sinners. There's none that seeketh after God. You loved us even when we were unloving and unlovable. But God, you saw in us a, a treasure, a precious soul to be saved. And Father, we thank you for your love and the compassion and the mercy that you've shared with us and for us. And Father, I thank you that not only did you love us when we for salvation, but Lord, you love us day by day. And your love is there always for us. Father, there are times that we don't love you and we, it's very evident by the way that we live. The things that we do, the things that we say, the, the places we go. But Father, I pray today that this message has caused us to stop and to ponder. Father, that we might get back on the right track. To love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love Jesus with all that we have. To live for him. That we might be constrained to walk and to serve Him every day. Father, I thank You that You're continually working to make us to be more like Your Son, Jesus, because You love us. With every head bowed and every eye closed today, I don't know Your heart. I don't know if You're saved. But there is a God who can look into Your heart and to Your life right now and see if He's there. Just because you're a good person doesn't mean he's there in your heart. Just because you're a church grower doesn't mean that he's there in your heart. You must receive him into your heart. He stands at your heart's door, the Bible says in Revelation 3.20. If any man will open the door, he says, I will come into him. Jesus wants to come into your life right now. You say, well, how can, how can he come into my life? The Bible says you need to recognize that you're a sinner. Jesus died for you as a sinner. He died to pay the penalty for your sins because God is holy and righteous and just. Your sin debt had to be paid and Jesus paid it on the cross. He was buried and rose again for your justification to declare you righteous. Today, right now, you can receive that gift. God says it's a gift. It's a free gift of eternal life. If you'll pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart, he'll save you. You can pray a simple prayer like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe Jesus died for me on the cross. He loved me. He shed his blood for me. I want to turn to Jesus and turn from my sin. I want him to be my Savior today. In Jesus' name. With no one looking around you prayed and asked Jesus to be your Savior, 
Dear friend, he is. He has come into your heart. You truly meant it. Those that call unto me, I, Jesus said, I will in no wise cast out. Maybe you're here on the listening over the internet and say, I need Jesus to be my Savior. He wants to come into your heart and into your life and save you today. Why not pray and ask Him to be your Savior today? Dear Father, we just pray right now in this time of invitation that, Lord, that you would just have your way. Lord, we thank you for giving us one more opportunity to hear the gospel. Lord, may we not let it pass by. May we not be negligent. Lord, may we open our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand, Brother Scott will lead us in a song of invitation. If you prayed and asked Jesus to be your Savior, I'd love to talk with you about it. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. Won't you just come and a song, the song will start here in just a moment. Just come, leave your seat, come and and uh, we've got counselors that would love to take the word of God, share with you how you know you're saved. And, and uh, it's the greatest decision in your life. Jesus loves you. Praise God for his love. But what does it compel you to do? What does it compel you? How do you live your life differently because you know that Jesus loves you? I pray that it does. If, if he's speaking to your heart about something today, maybe it's to give your life to him in an area of service of missionary or pastor or, or some full-time service. I don't know. But maybe today is, hey, today is the day the guy says, hey, you need to lay it all on the altar. Look what I've done for you. Why not give me your life and let me do with it as I please, not what you please. See what he does. If you've never been baptized, you need to get baptized. You need to identify with Jesus in baptism. His death, his burial, his resurrection. It doesn't save you going into that water. It just says, you know what? It's a testimony and obedience to what Jesus said. I pray that you'd do that today. God, speak into your heart, won't you come, Brother Scott?